If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? This is Foundations, the radio ministry of Oak Hill Presbyterian Church, Sonora, California. We welcome you to our Sunday morning worship services under the leadership of Pastor David Bush. Stay tuned following today's program for more information about Oak Hill Presbyterian Church. Here now is today's message from Pastor Bush. Okay, we're uh, continuing on our series, uh, Unmasking Tyranny, uh, part two. Uh, I'm not going to read the text, but you might want to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8. We were considering verses 1 through 22 of 1 Samuel, and just by way of reminder there, the people have, uh, have rejected Samuel's sons. They've, they've become wrecks at least in the opinion of the people. And they now want no longer to live under a a judge. They want a king. And Samuel has this discussion with God, so to speak, and and God is telling Samuel, you just go and give the people what they want. Uh, They're not rejecting you. They've rejected me from being king over them. And and what God is informing Samuel, he's saying, you tell them what this king's going to be like. And this king, we read, is going to be a thief. He's going to take and take and take and take and take in the passage, which we emphasize. And he was going to take for his benefit. And so uh, we looked last week at three points and this warning that Samuel gives of this king who's going to be nothing more than a tyrant. Uh, We saw that uh, tyrants have a number of things that we see consistent. Uh, One, they reject God, where God says they've not rejected you, but they rejected me. Uh, Tyrants uh, established standing armies was our second point. Uh, That was in contrast to the idea of a well-trained militia having a citizenry that protected its interests rather than a standing army that fought the wars for for the values of the king rather than the people. And then third, we saw that tyrants often want uh, the means of production, where the taking of the sons and daughters would be to do his plowing, his reaping of his harvest, and making his weapons of war for his chariots there in verse 12. And so we want to just continue on that vein, and for the sake of getting through the material, I'm going to just uh, trust that you are familiar enough with that passage and, uh, and uh, remember what was, uh, what was addressed last uh, week. So I want to continue. The fourth point about tyrants that I want to point out for your consideration is that tyrants want control of property. Uh, verse 15, he will take a tenth of your seed and of your vineyards, and he will give to his officers and his servants, and he will also make your male servants and your female servants and your best young men and your donkeys to use them for his work, and he will take a tenth of your flocks, and yourselves will become his servants. I want you to notice that twice, once in verse 15 and once in verse 17, you have this language, he will take a tenth or a tithe, as some of your, passage, or your, your translations will say. Now, take that in for a moment. He's going to take a tenth of your property. And God is saying through Samuel, this is what tyranny looks like. When your civil magistrate takes a tenth of your property, that's tyranny. And I want you to think about the taxes we pay in America today. Our founding fathers could not conceive of a time in America where, where more than 
of anyone's wages would ever be taxed. And that's only the beginning. When you think of income taxes and social security taxes, sales taxes, estate taxes, property taxes, DMV taxes, gas taxes, liquor taxes, and on and on and on. <laughs> you know, you're taxed for making money, you're taxed for spending money, you get taxed on buying used uh, or buying new uh, luxuries, and you get taxed when you sell those, and you get taxed for buying used ones. It's uh, the government that just keeps taking, taking, taking. It's insane the amount of uh, taxes that are uh, taken from the people People for the lavish lives of the, of the politicians, the elite. We see this in the, just the, the degree, the, the lifestyle of, think of the royal family. The tax and the people, and they live in such opulence, and the people having a, a subsistence living. Our own politicians today who go into office, rarely a millionaire, and come out multimillionaires. How do they make such vast sums on, the, on an office that just pays them, you know, a, a fair, I mean, you know, a decent wage, but certainly not enough to make them the kinds of millionaires that they come out, except they do these backroom deals and so forth. What you have to understand is, as Karl Marx said, in a nutshell, that communism is nothing more than the acquisition of private property. This is the sum of, of communism for, for Marxism. And you're all familiar with the ten planks of communism. Uh, if you're not, maybe I'll just briefly kind of lay these out quickly. Uh, number one was the abolition of property and land and application of all rents of land to public purposes. Think of Gavin Newsom, or Newscom as I often refer to him, who... Um, just extended a freeze on uh, landowners evicting uh, tenants because they can't pay rent. You just think about the government imposes these <laughs> these tyrannical things upon uh, the the doing of business in America, the the earning of wages. Get us locked into housing people who have no money because of their decisions, then added decisions upon the landowner to not be able to evict the one who's not paying. So now his property becomes a burden. They lose those properties, and that's how they end up getting these properties on the cheap. Well, who wants to, who wants to have a multi-unit, very expensive you know, property, can't rent it out, you know, 30, rents are down about 30% in some of the cities. San Francisco rents now down 30%. And what happens to the value of real estate? It goes down. They buy it on the cheap, turn the economy around over time when they've pushed people out of their property. And so this is how the elite get these big properties. Um, the second was a heavy progressive graduated tax, income tax. Done. <laughs> Check that one off <laughs> categorically. Uh, three was the abolition of all rights of inheritance. You think of the estate taxes that are imposed upon the, the bigger estates, encroaching by degrees the theft of the inheritances of the people. Think of the castles in, in Europe that used to all be in the hands of the private sector that are now in the hands of the state. All, all state-controlled properties. Number four was the confiscation of the property of all immigrants and rebels. 
history has shown <laughs> how Christians in times of persecution, of tyranny, covenanting times is in my mind, because that's one of the areas of study that I'm most familiar with, but how many Christians, because they had offended the king, got their property stolen from them because of these, uh, these heavy fines and liens that were put upon their properties. Number five is the centralization of credit in the hands of the state by means of a national bank with state capital and an exclusive monopoly. Now we have centralized banking that is hand-in-hand in in the Federal Reserve System working with our state treasury now is just reprehensible. Uh, Six is the centralization of communication and transport in the hands of the state. Do I need to remind you what we've seen in recent months with Google, YouTube, Twitter, Fakebook, New York Times, Washington Post, and the list goes on, MSNBC and the like, that are giving a narrative of one side of the issue purposely to support that of the state and particularly the most secular elements of the state. Number seven, the extension of factories as instruments of production owned by the state. In other words, the state owns the, uh, the means of production. Factories and businesses will become state-owned. This all starts out with things like bailouts, Remember GM and the uh, subprime crisis and all that went on? Too big to fail, we heard. $500 million gone to Solyndra from Obama. $500 million only to find Solyndra go bankrupt within you know, a few months. What happened to the taxpayer's money? That's half a billion dollars of our money spent on an investment that we all knew was bogus. It's not for the state to make those kinds of investments. But if you're a communist, you see, we have to get the means of production. So you start softening it up to the the thievery that comes by. Number eight is the equal liability of all labor, establishment of industrial armies, especially for agriculture. Um, See, this is where all people must labor. All people must labor. But of course, you know, if you've read Animal Farm, incidentally, uh, was there anybody here who missed what my, my reference to Napoleon and Snowball was last week. I had a couple of questions afterwards when the, there were just a few. Napoleon and Snowball were the two pigs in Orwell's Animal Farm who, who you know, eventually go into Farmer Jones's house and they're the ones doing all the planning while all the other uh, farm animals are working hard in the hot sun and they're hungry, they're, they're starving, but Napoleon and Snowball are in the house where it's cool and it's, there's the foodstuffs of Farmer Jones have been left there, but all the animals are all hungry. Well, this is, this is uh, my reference to um, our number one and number two in the land, as they say. <laughs> Napoleon and Snowball. So here, where all theoretically are to labor and to labor equally, of course, those in the elite class are too occupied with planning uh, to be out doing the labors. And so uh, they get armies to protect those lands that they have, in effect, stolen from the people. I think in our own land recently, our forest rangers are now uh, armed uh, to guard uh, our national parks. Uh, Pretty frightening that it becomes now a police force, effectively. All the while, they're trying to disarm the citizens. Um, Why? Why would you need to have an armed force? Um, 
Number nine, the combination of uh, agriculture with manufacturing industries. Uh, gradual abolition of the distinction between town and country by a more equitable distribution of population over the country. And you just watch what's hap- what will happen uh, during times of depression when the big cities become so full of crime, people will scatter to get more distributed into the outer lying lands and become more self-reliant and trying to divide and conquer effectively would be what happens in that. And then lastly is the free education of all children in public schools. Check that one off. And all of this is designed to take our property, land, businesses, inheritance, real estate, bank accounts, to take our assets and to put them in the hands of state control. Tyranny. So this is the fourth point. Tyrants look for the, um, the control of property, to take over the control of property. Number five. Tyrants look to the world for wisdom. Notice in verse 19 and 20, particularly verse 20, these people want a king so that they may be like all the other nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. I remember Obama on one occasion who, when he was talking about health care, that he wanted us to look like all of the other nations. Now, Trump wanted slightly better. He wanted to be unique from the nations. He wanted American exceptionalism. And both fall short of the mark. The Puritans had it right. Our founding fathers had it right. They wanted not to imitate the nations. And not just to have American exceptionalism. They wanted one nation under God to live consistently under the protections and the provision of God Almighty over this nation. And see, what happens is when nations deny God as sovereign, as Israel would soon find out, that when you refuse to give God his rightful place as sovereign, ruin will come eventually to that nation. Whether it comes from a priesthood that has gone after liberalism or money or whatever it might be, whether it's a government that refuses to have God over them, when people break God's law, God's law will eventually break that people. And Israel found that out, and the United States of America is no different, that we too will suffer. When tyrants want to rule by worldly wisdom, looking to the nations they will find that God has made foolish the wisdom of this world. They will employ foolish ends, foolish means of dealing with problems, and the tyranny ensues. So tyrants look to the world for wisdom rather than to God. Number six, tyrants want control of education. That was the tenth plank of, uh, of communism. Continuing on. To this day, think about uh, Nebuchadnezzar when he got Aspenaz to train Daniel and his friends in the book of Daniel, chapter 1. And there they were to be trained in the literature and the language and the history of Babylon. 
Why? We want you to be like us, to think like us, to learn our agenda, to learn our interpretation upon the history and so forth, and learn why we were great. Nothing's changed. I wonder if you've ever stopped to consider the quality of education in our public schools today. Um, What are we accomplishing with our vast education? Um, Think about where it used to be in our colonial era, what education looked like in these little white farmhouse, you know, schoolhouses out in the prairie lands and had a single teacher teaching multiple grades and what went on. You'd be shocked to see what was taught in some of those elementary years First grade children learned words and much more complex memorization and, and a, a much more wholesome learning than most high school students will ever achieve in their uh, reading, particularly, but mathematics as well. Primary school vocabulary words in the earliest years, second, third grade vocabulary lists, blacksmith, wheelhouse, meeting house, Justification, sanctification, what? Justification, sanctification in third grade? You have pastors today that will apologize to the congregations for using words like justification and sanctification because they're too big for you to understand. Flee from any pastor who would ever speak like that, that will not train you up to understand what third graders used to understand. Utah spends about $6,000, perhaps a little bit more now with inflation, but a few years ago it was $6,000 per child to attend public school. That's what it costs to educate a child in Utah. That's the least expensive. In New York City, it's almost three times that, nearly $18,000 to educate every single student for a year. That's an average of about $10,615. Highest amount of paid of any nation per child to educate them. And what do we get? Back in 2003, and nothing has changed substantially. And if it has, it's only downward. American high school students rank 23rd out of the top 40 nations in reading. 28th in math. And I want to say that was before we got this postmodern, anti rational, can't figure out basic gender issues, I need my safe place, rainbow haired generation that we're breeding today. The education is abysmal in the land. And why? It's to distract them from the real issues, to deny them any sort of tools that they will need to critically examine the tyranny that is being foisted upon them. Incapable of examining truth claims, logic is not only not understood, but not even taught in the public schools, unless you choose by way of an election somehow, or an elective somehow. And we will never know how to fight the enemy. Let me warn you, folks. As Abraham Lincoln once said, the philosophy taught in the school in one generation will be the philosophy of the government in the next generation. 
if you think things are going to get any better anytime soon, <laughs> based upon that kind of a statement, the next generation is going to be even worse. And the immorality that is championed in our school systems is, is just atrocious. And the reason is, is an immoral people are easier to control. Criminals have a hard time calling other people criminal. Unless, of course, you're a Democrat. Why is there a push for, the, for transgenderism in our land today? The push for homosexual behavior. Championing abortion as a right. Legalization of drugs. And on and on the list goes. Why? Because immoral people are much easier to control. That's a truth that's been known by tyrants for, for years. I'm, I'm way behind. I think maybe what I'll do is I'll just cut the last point off of this. It'll just be kind of like we'll have to just end a little early. But there was a book that was recommended by Matt Truella in a sermon I had heard some, some years or some months ago probably. It may have been a year or two. I don't know. But he recommended this book called Libido Dominandi. Uh, here is a description of the book. I have not read it, but it's always been in the back of my mind. I want to go back and read it. But it was about how sexual perversion is used to destroy nations, to foster tyranny. I want to read the, the description of this book on Goodreads, where it starts with a quotation from St. Augustine. So, quote, Thus, says Augustine, A good man, though a slave, is free, but a wicked man, though a king, is a slave. For he serves not one man alone, but what is worse, as many masters as he has vices. I'm going to back up and read that again because it's, it's, a, it's a mouthful as well as a headful. Thus a good man, though a slave, is free. I minister to prisoners who know Jesus Christ and have more freedom in jail because they are a morally controlled people who live by the truth of Christ. That he's free in that slavery, if you will. Though a good man a slave is free, but a wicked man, by contrast, though a king is a slave. For he serves not one man alone, but what is worse, as many masters as he has vices. His vices become his Lord. He wrote that in the city of God. So he says, uh, the, the description goes on. St. Augustine, city of God, writing at the time of the collapse of the Roman Empire, St. Augustine both revolutionized and brought a close antiquities idea of freedom. A man was not a slave by nature or law, as Aristotle claimed. His freedom was a function of his moral state. A man had as many masters as he had vices. This insight would provide the basis for the most sophisticated form of social control known to man. 1,400 years later, a decadent French aristocrat turned that tradition on its head when he wrote that, quote, the freest of people are they who are most friendly to murder. End quote. Like St. Augustine, 
the Marquis de Sade would agree that freedom was a function of morals. Unlike St. Augustine, the Marquis de Sade proposed a revolution in sexual morals to accompany the political revolution then taking place in France. Libido dominandi is the term taken from, the book, from book one of Augustine's City of God, is the definitive history of that sexual revolution from 1773 to the present. Unlike the standard version of the sexual revolution, Libido Dominandi shows how sexual liberation was from its inception a form of control, social controls. Uh, sorry, was a, a form of control. Those who wished to liberate man from the moral order needed to impose social controls as soon as they succeeded because liberated libido led inevitably to anarchy. Aldous Huxley wrote in his preface to the 1946 edition of Brave New World that, quote, as political and economic freedom diminishes, sexual freedom tends compensatingly to increase. This book is about the converse of that statement. It explains how the rhetoric of, the sexual, free, of sexual freedom was used to engineer a system of covert political and social control. Over the course of the 200-year span covered by this book, the development of technologies, of communication, reproduction, and psychic control, including psychotherapy, behaviorism, advertising, sensitivity training, pornography, and plain old blackmail, allowed the Enlightenment and its heirs to turn Augustine's insight on its head and create masters out of men's vices. Libido Dominandi is the story of how that happened. That might be a book worth reading. So this is why there's such a biased attack upon everything that is wholesome in the United States and has been for some time. Everything that Christianity has to offer. Marriage between a male and a female that seems so out of touch with reality, so cruel. Christian ethics, love of neighbors, childhood discipline, that old-fashioned idea of abstinence until marriage. Why are these attacked so much? Because an immoral population is much easier to control. Tyrants have an easier hand. And you are the only thing that stands between tyranny and our children, our future. We're the line in the sand. We're the front line. And that's why we will be taken down first. Why the hostilities? And it's why I'm so eager to unmask this monster. And it goes on. Sobering, to be sure. Scary, to be sure. But if we're not prepared, we're an easy enemy. We're taken down in the warfare. We have to unmask this. But we are people under tyranny. But the promise of God is that he will take care of his church. That this too will be for our good. 
we may be the blood of the martyrs that will be the seed to a new generation church. And it may be that history will be written because we stood the ground. We fought the fight. We fought the good fight. And the outcome will be God's. But this is a fight that is at our shores. And may God give us the grace to fight nobly, manfully, faithfully, and with integrity. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, these are heavy things to be sure. I pray that you would give us the grace to uh, see uh, the challenges of the day. We know for lack of knowledge, your people perish. And so may we be equipped not only with knowledge, but Lord, the wisdom that it takes to process that, to put it in place, to to have it contextualized and and rightly discerned by your word. Uh, Give us the grace of your spirit knowing that we fight your cause and not our own. We pray in Jesus' most blessed name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Foundations, the radio ministry of Oak Hill Presbyterian Church. Our church is located at the corner of Mono Way, Highway 108, and Peaceful Valley Road in East Sonora, California. The church with the crosses. Our weekly worship service begins at 9.45 a.m., We would be delighted to have you join us as we worship Almighty God, explore His Word, and fellowship in Christian love. If you would like a copy of today's message or more information about Oak Hill, please visit our website at oakhillopc.org.